Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this evening uh, to the book of Psalms, and we're turning back to um, uh, Psalm 124 this evening. And if you're using the church Bibles, you'll find this on page 517. Psalm 124, and this has the heading, A Song of Ascents, of David. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. In our evenings together, uh, we have been looking at this collection of psalms within the book of Psalms, these 15 psalms that are known as the Songs of Ascents. And we've been highlighting how these songs most likely got that heading because they were used, they were incorporated as the people of God made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem or to Mount Zion each uh, year and multiple times a year uh, for their religious festivals. And as they made their journey, they would be able to reflect on God's word and on these psalms in particular. But we've been saying that these songs were not just appropriate for the pilgrimage towards Jerusalem because many of those psalms talk about Jerusalem. But these psalms are appropriate for the earthly pilgrimage of all of God's people that they remain relevant because there is a, there's a wideness to the, the issues that they bring up, uh, even as they repeat and re, uh, revisit many of the same themes. But we've been highlighting several of those themes already. We've been talking about how the life of faith, the pilgrim mindset, is really one that pursues peace in a, word that is hostile, in a world that is hostile to the truth. It is also one in which we find our protection in the Lord, that our help comes in the name of the Lord, uh, who is the maker of the heavens and the earth. The life of the pilgrim is also one in which we cherish, we view as important the people of God. And this evening, we want to come back and we want to find uh, appropriately another P word to help us remember the life of the pilgrim mindset. We want to think about uh, this psalm in terms of praise. The life of faith is a life of praising God. And we want to see that because the Lord rescues his people, that the people of God are marked out by praise. And we want to see this in three ways in this psalm. Uh, we want to, uh, in three thoughts. We want to think about the danger that the psalm is describing. Then we want to think about the deliverance that the psalm celebrates. And then finally, we want to think about the doxology or the praise that emerges from this psalm. Well, first, uh, there is the danger itself. Uh, you see at the top, we said the heading says a song of ascents. 
and then it says of David. There are some manuscripts that don't have the, the, high, the heading of David in it. And so some have doubted or questioned whether this was actually penned by David. Perhaps it was written at a different time about a different occasion. But the vast majority of the manuscripts that have been preserved down through the centuries include of David in the heading. And that is helpful for us to try to understand what might have been the original context uh, for what was being penned here. That if we understand it in terms of what the many manuscripts say, then David is writing about this in light of his own escape from the enemies who rose up against him, about the people who were kindled against anger against him and were about to swallow him up. And if you remember last year when we were going through 2 Samuel, we looked at the life of David. And one of the main enemies that David had in his life were the Philistines. And you remember there was a very crucial moment in Israel's history. It was when Israel's first king died. He died in battle against the Philistines. The Philistines had won that battle. And not only had they killed Saul, but they had also killed his son, Jonathan. And now David was emerging as the new leader of Israel. And the Philistines got wind that the man who had been in their land a short time earlier was now the ruler of Israel. And in 2 Samuel 5, it tells us that the Philistines, when they heard this, they came down and they spread themselves out in the valley of Rephaim. That is, is that they were spreading themselves around David in order to wipe him out. And the Philistines were the stronger army at this time. And so it is appropriate to look at the psalm in light of what David is saying here, to see it as something that does fit into David's own experience, as someone who was about to be swallowed up even by the Philistines. And so uh, uh, it is quite likely that David is reflecting on his own experience in this psalm. Uh, even there, as it says in verses 2 and 3, when these people rose up against us and their anger was kindled against him. But the psalm uh, pertains not just to the life or the experience of David, but as we've been saying, these psalms, they embody truths that remain relevant for the people of God at all times and in all places. That David experienced a deliverance but the people of God can resonate with what this psalm is celebrating. That they know what it is to be delivered and to be rescued from danger. They know what it is to be on uh, a very dangerous situation, only to be rescued by God's grace. And so while we have never had a, a physical battle or to see a physical army surrounding us, we can still look at these words and to see how they're appropriate for describing uh, the life of faith. But notice how the psalm begins. It says, if the Lord had not been on our side. If the Lord had not been on our side. The psalm is really uh, beginning with this uh, contemplation of a, a hypothetical scenario. And sometimes we like to imagine different kinds of situations or scenarios that might creep up. We might read a children's story with the imagination of a, uh, a make-believe scenario. Imagine if the weather produced food for us. Uh, imagine if we could fly. And we can imagine all these different scenarios or different situations in which we could live in. Uh, 
But here when David says, if the Lord had not been on our side, he's, not, he's really speaking about something much more somber and solemn in terms of this hypothetical situation. He's talking about a situation in which, what if God wasn't on our side? I can remember as a young person, uh, one of my friends, he seemed to begin every conversation with, what if? What if? Uh, what if we go and do this? What if the world was to end tomorrow? What if all the money went away? What if the power didn't work tomorrow? What if there was a big disaster that happened? All these what ifs. And just making you contemplate these different scenarios. But as the psalm here begins with what if, or if the Lord had not been on our side. He's not asking that if question to raise doubts about whether or not God is on his side. But rather he's raising that question in order to drive home with force the alternative. If God had not been on our side we would have been destroyed. It's that plain. The alternative was bleak. And so as he begins this question, as he begins this statement here, he's really stressing the fact that the Lord being on their side was necessary for their own life and their own survival. We can really just translate that opening word, if, by the word unless. Unless the Lord had been on our side, we would have been swallowed up. And then really in the first half of this whole psalm, in rapid succession, he begins to give these different pictures, trying to evoke the danger that he was going through. So that we can appreciate just how close the end was for the psalmist here. If the Lord had not been on our side, we would have been swallowed up alive. That he sees his danger as something that was imminent. That it would have only taken a moment for it to all come crashing down. Swallowed alive. You think of a snake. When a snake eats its prey, it just swallows it whole. It doesn't waste time. It just takes in everything all at once. There's no uh, delay in the process. It all happens. And here, uh, David is speaking in the same way. It wouldn't have taken long. His enemies surrounding him, they're spread out over the ravine. That he, he sees them as being able to suddenly swallow them up. And it, they were helpless. They wouldn't have been able to do it on their own. He goes on and he adds to this imagery, not only of being swallowed alive suddenly, but he uses the language of being the danger of being swept away. You see that in verses four and five. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us and over us would have gone the raging waters. There's this similarity in the ideas that are being conveyed, all with the idea of waters, the force of water just overtaking whatever it's in its path. And when we read the psalm in light of David's own battle with the Philistines, that valley where they fought was a very arid land. But there was something unique about it because whenever it did rain, all the water trickulated down into those dry riverbeds. And it didn't take very much rain for it to become a mighty gushing river. 
And when that river came, it did sweep away whatever was in its path. And so David here is reflecting on just the force of water, that it just sweeps whatever is in its path. And David says, we were like that close. We were in a helpless position. Our enemies were coming after us. We would have been swallowed up suddenly, but we would have been also overwhelmed in the process. There was no resistance that we could muster. And so he uses this second analogy. He also adds to that in verses 6 and 7. He adds even further analogies. In verse 6, he says that we have been delivered from the teeth of the prey. And furthermore, in verse 7, he says that they have uh, escaped uh, from the snare of the fowler. A fowler is uh, one who hunts birds. And fowlers will have different ways of trying to trap birds. Depending on the bird, they will use different tactics to be able to lure their, their prey. Uh, but here is really the idea that he would have been trapped, and they were trapped, and in a helpless state. This psalm, though, is confessed by the people of God in all ages because they recognize the danger that we are all in by nature. That we are people who are in a helpless state morally before God. That we are people who live with a real enemy in Satan. And that we are people who are helpless to deliver ourselves from the trap. That we have been wrapped up and caught in sin and we stand in need of God's deliverance. When you think of a bird, you think of its freedom to fly. That it was designed to fly in the sky. If it is trapped, it is deprived of its ability to live according to its design. Design is important because it calls into question the idea of nature. It calls into question the idea of a designer. What is its design and who gives it its design? But if we are like birds that are trapped then it's saying that we are people that are not living according to our design that God gave to us. That we are people who are helpless because we have been deceived by sin. That we are people who are wrapped up in deceits by the father of lies. The scriptures teach us that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour and that we are caught in the trap of sin in a multitude of ways. There was a 19th century Baptist uh, preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon. He said, Fowlers have many methods of taking small birds, and Satan has many methods of entrapping souls. Some are decoyed by evil companions. Others are enticed by the love of dainties. Hunger drives many into the trap, and fright impels members, many numbers, to fly into the net. Fowlers know their birds and how to take them. The birds don't see the snare to avoid it, and they cannot break it so as to escape from it. If we're going to understand this psalm, then we're going to have to understand the nature of the danger that the psalmist is talking about. David faced a real danger from the Philistines. But what makes this psalm appropriate for the people of God in all ages 
is because they are people who face a real danger with sin itself. That we are people that are seduced by sin, trapped by sin, deceived by sin. That there is one who is kindled in anger against us, in the devil himself. And that we are people who depend on the Lord's deliverance to come and to save us. As we think about sin then, sin is not just a social taboo. Sin is not just doing something that is socially disapproved of or that is unpopular in society. Something that's frowned at by family or by friends. Sin is wickedness because it is an affront to God. It is rebellion against God's order of creation. It is an attack ultimately on God's world. And it brings damage and destruction to others and to ourselves. And the old adage, if it doesn't hurt anyone, then why are you complaining, is not true. Because if you actually tease it out, sin always does hurt other people. Sin is dangerous. It exposes us to the judgment of God. Sin brings the curse of God's judgment. And it's something that we shouldn't think lightly about. Here, David begins the psalm by saying, if the Lord had not been on our side, we would have been destroyed. And that's the confession of every believer. If the Lord had not been on my side, I would have been condemned. I would have no hope. I would be of all people most to be pitied. But this psalm switches because that hypothetical is relieved by the reality that God is on their side. The Lord was on our side because he has delivered us from the danger of our enemies. And you see that in verse 7. In fact, the wonder of that deliverance is something that is reiterated in repeating it twice. We have escaped We've been rescued. We were in bondage. We were those who were about to be swallowed up. And yet David could say on that day, we didn't die in battle. When all hope seemed to be gone, God rescued us. And so as you think about deliverance in the life of faith, deliverance is really the fact that we escape the judgment of God. It is escaping the, the, the trappings of the evil one. It is really to escape the curse of sin itself, that it is to be delivered from that state and to be able to be rescued by God's grace. That's ultimately what the good news is all about. When Jesus came into this world, when the Son of God took on flesh, He began his public ministry by reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And as he read from that scroll in the synagogue, he explained that his ministry, his whole mission, was to proclaim liberty, to proclaim freedom to those who were enslaved, to bring good news to those who were uh, oppressed. It was to set free those who were captives, To those who were bound in prison, they were to be liberated. So Jesus' whole ministry, his whole mission, is one of bringing escape from sin and the clutches of sin and the effects of sin 
through his own work of salvation. Jesus uh, brought deliverance from that curse of sin, ultimately by suffering the effects of sin himself, by suffering the consequences on the cross, that he embraced the judgment of God so that we could escape that judgment ourselves. This is what the good news is. God provides a rescue for sinners. So the scriptures teach, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave, us, gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. At that point in Paul's letter, Paul is celebrating the fact that God is for us. But how does a person know whether God is for them? How does one know, even as you look back in Ezekiel, when God says, I will judge between rams and male sheep, or male goats, I'll judge between sheep and sheep. How does one know whether God is for me? Paul began that chapter by saying, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are trusting in Christ, if you have come to trust in Jesus as that rescuer from your sin, then you can know God is for you. Just as much as David knew that God was for him from that deliverance from the Philistines, we can know that God is for us when we are trusting in the Savior that he has provided, when we're trusting in the Lord Jesus to deliver us from the consequences of sin. And so here the psalm celebrates there was a real danger. Sin does lead to condemnation. There is a judgment that is coming. God has made it plain through the resurrection of Jesus that there is a day appointed when he will judge this world. But there is also this declaration of deliverance that all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. And so danger moves on to this deliverance that the psalm celebrates. That the Lord has brought an escape. The snare is broken and we have escaped. That's the second thing there. The snare is broken. In between these repeated refrains of this, that we have escaped is the idea that the snare, the trap that held the bird has been destroyed. It has been broken. That something definitive has happened here. It's not just a momentary relief. That there's a difference that now exists. The, the Lord's work has brought about a new reality. A new state of being. That their position is not the same as it once was. The escape is one that brings a secure deliverance. And so uh, the psalm can celebrate the escape of God. And the, in, the end of the entrapment. But this psalm is not just about danger and about God's deliverance. It's ultimately, we said, about praise. And when you read over the psalm, you'll begin to see that the psalm, actually at the center of the psalm, is praise. When you look at the first five verses, that is really opening us up to the idea of God's presence and protection. But it's there embedded in verse 6, the center of the psalm, Praise or blessed be the Lord. 
that the deliverance that God has brought from the danger that they found themselves in ultimately leads to praise. This is the proper response to the Lord's rescue from danger. Blessed be the Lord. To bless in scripture means to endue with power, success, prosperity, longevity. We think oftentimes in scripture of God blessing the people, pronouncing his favor upon his people, that they will succeed, that, his, that their purposes will prevail, that they will enjoy a lasting state of enjoyment. But how do the people of God bless the Lord? It's helpful when we think about the word bless to think about it in contrast with another word that is oftentimes coupled with it and set in contrast with it, the word curse. To curse is to esteem lightly. And so to bless the Lord would mean to esteem greatly. The people of God are marked by those who esteem the Lord highly and those who want the Lord's will to be done. What does it mean to praise God? It means that you desire the success of God's will. I want the Lord's will to be done. That's what Jesus teaches us. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When that's your prayer, that is the desire of praise. When you esteem God above all else, you are recognizing that God is great and is to be praised. And that's what this psalm leads to. If I really recognize that my sin is serious, but that my Savior is real, then I have great reason to esteem God highly. Conversely, if I think sin is frivolous, then I think very little of a need of a Savior, and I have no desire to praise. A lot comes back to how you think about sin, how you think about guilt, how you think about yourself in relation to the living God, and how you respond to God's works in Jesus Christ. This psalm then begins or leads us ultimately to praise because it recognizes the danger of sin. It recognizes our helpless estate and our need of God's rescue, but it also recognizes that rescue came in the fullness of time. It is ultimately to praise, blessed be the Lord. But more than that, this blessing of the Lord is something that is to shape the people of God in proclamation. Their praise of God should be framed by an understanding of their dependence of the Lord. If you go back to verse 1, it says there in that double refrain, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if the Lord had not been on our side when people rose up against us. Notice that in between those two ifs, the psalmist says, let Israel now say that they are to say it if they believe it. That the life of faith is one in which they are to be willing to give expression to the greatness of God. That they are to uh, actually verbalize those words themselves. We live 
in an age that has been described as uh, individualistic, self-fulfillment, self-expression. But we express ourselves as a way of expressing what we value. And if we value God, we will speak of him. We will want him to be made known because he has done something good for us. We will want to lift him up for others to know. And that's why the psalm can say, if the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say these words. Say them for your own soul. Because the life of faith is a life that is to be permeated with thanksgiving. The life of faith is to be one in which we are thankful to God and not simply characterized by grumbling and by complaint. Something that the New Testament says is a snare of the devil. That the life of faith is to be one in which we recognize God and are living devoted to him. But Israel is being instructed here to say these words, not just for their own sake, but for the sake of others, so that they would be built up in their faith, so that they would come to a knowledge of the truth themselves, so that they would be reinforced in these matters and be able to live knowing what they have in God's grace. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote his letter to Timothy in the New Testament, he told him to devote himself to the teaching of the truth. And he says this in 2 Timothy, God may perhaps grant them repentance that leads to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Timothy, your job is to teach the truth. Why should I do that? Because it's through the knowledge of the truth that people will be liberated from the lies of the evil one. It's by the truth that people will be set free from sin. It's by the knowledge of the truth that people will come to know of Jesus. And by the work of the Spirit, these things will change their lives. They will be transformed. And so Timothy preached the word. But here, as the people of God are on their pilgrimage, they are led to praise the Lord. Blessed be the Lord, because he has delivered us from our danger. He has delivered us in his grace. We have escaped. Have you been set free from sin? Do you know what it is to no longer live with the condemnation of sin because you are joined with Christ who died in the place of sinners and has been raised to newness of life? God has approved of his son and all who belong to him in his train are also approved. Then you have great reason to praise. So say it. Let me push that further. If you're a professing Christian you should be saying it. If you identify with Jesus as Lord, it should come out. You should have this pulse aiding in you at times to say something. 
to say something of the goodness of God, to say something about God's rescue. The psalm here is exhorting the people to say these things because they need to be said. But it's exhorting us to say these things because these ought to be said. This is the response of deliverance. I have been delivered. Then let me praise God's name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray as we think over this psalm that we would recognize how, although it was written so long ago, and uh, about the experiences of the people in the Old Covenant. We pray, Lord, that we would see that the truths that they contain still lead us to the same result, that we ourselves would be people who bless your holy name. We thank you, Lord, for the deliverance, the rescue, the escape from the clutches of sin and the deceitfulness in the lies of the Father of all lies through the work of the Spirit, and by the work of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we're thankful uh, for your grace, and we pray that we would be people who give expression of our praise in the way that we live and in the way that we speak. Go before us for Christ's sake. Amen.